Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. Amen. Welcome to church, everybody. Go ahead and find your seat. There's no one like him. There is no one like him. I think we're going to learn more about that today. I'm really excited to be here and preach to you from God's word. Um, I'm just going to shoot straight with you. I sense the anointing already, and I'm super excited about that. Everything's easier with the anointing. Preaching is fun, but it's even more fun when the anointing is is present. What that means is um, God's always present, but he's present in a special way to bless a little bit more intensely. You can kind of sense him in the room. So I don't know if you all sense him, but I sense him here already and ready to go. We're starting a brand new series today called Misfit Messiah. What's up, online people? We're glad you're here for Misfit Messiah, too. Hey, um, for everybody who's in the room right after church today, we're going to have a Connect class. It's the second Connect class. And I want to encourage you to be there if you haven't done these before, okay, especially if you're brand new or new words to the church. This is where you find out all the things. This is where we talk about what we believe. This is where we talk about how to, be, how to like join the church, like what that means. Um, and for real, man, there's food there and there's childcare, so it's all good. There's really no reason not to do it, but that's right after church. There's people out in the hall that will direct you there. But I'm really excited to talk about the hope that we have in Jesus because of who he is, not who people thought he was going to be. So in Jesus' time, people had preconceptions about what Messiah would be, like what would how would that look? What would he be about? There was no real consensus. Like there wasn't like one version that everyone's like, and it will be like this. There were more, it was like, hey, we've got some ideas. We look at some things in the Hebrew scriptures and we can see some things that are like, yeah, okay, it's probably gonna be a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But it wasn't like there was one view. There was lots of different views, but the religious elite of the time turned out they had some assumptions that just weren't right. They had some things that weren't in the right order. They didn't really understand him the right way. And we're going to look at some of the things they thought, and then we're going to see Jesus bring some correction to them about how he really always was going to be. But I think one of the ways we can all relate to this is we sometimes think God's going to act a certain way. We think God's going to show up in certain ways or not show up in certain ways, or he would probably act kind of how we would act. And God is always, man, he's so awesome because He's always in some way predictable. He always is who he is. He doesn't change at all, and yet he can be entirely unexpected. We never, like, get used to God. He's always tripping us out and teaching us new things. So these guys are going to be challenged, these religious elite, and I think we're going to be challenged to lay down some of our assumptions. So when people in Jesus' time would think about what is the Messiah, they would think about stuff like, okay, well, he's going to be a deliverer, right? Like, we see that in the Old Testament. He's going to be a person who's going to come and deliver Israel, the nation of Israel on some level to, with whatever enemy they happen to have at the time. At that time in particular, it was Rome was the enemy, but they're like, he's going to be delivered. He's going to come in. He's probably going to be some kind of a military leader because that's what David was. And see, David is like the quintessential prototype for what the Messiah was going to be. David was this king, like their best king. He was the king that was raised up and they're like, okay, so he's going to be like David, only better. So whatever they thought about the Messiah, they thought first and foremost, like the first image that would have been in people's mind is king. That's what it would have been. There's going to be a new king. And this king's going to be like super David. He's going to be better than everybody else. And there might be some priestly functions to him. There might be some, some prophetic functions to him. But let me tell you what nobody thought. Nobody, nobody, nobody thought 
that he was going to be God. The Messiah was not going to be God. He wasn't going to be the son of God. He was going to be a king. He was going to be awesome. He was going to be a deliverer. But they did not understand all the rest. I mean, it's, it's hard to piece together because there's stuff about the Messiah all over in the Old Testament. And some of it's like, is that really about the Messiah? We don't really even know. So it's not like they had a super clear picture, but nobody thought that he was going to be God. And so therefore, it was easy for them to misinterpret, misunderstand some of what Jesus was doing, especially when he appeared to do so many strange things, check it out, that a king just wouldn't do. You're expecting a king, and then he behaves in very non-king-like ways, at least how you understand a king. It's going to be, it's going to be intuitive to you that, yeah, maybe he's not, th- this guy isn't the right guy. So we're going to pick it up. We're, we're, we're going to watch. Um, okay, so Jesus does this awesome thing. You've heard this story before, okay? Jesus gonna, he's going to heal somebody. And, and sometimes we preach just on that little text, but really that's just the beginning. That's the initial incident of an entire trial that Jesus gets put on, okay? So he's going to come and he's going to heal. That's going to spark some controversy. Jesus always, man, he's not afraid of controversy. Sometimes we're like, oh, I just want things to go peaceful. I don't know if you want Jesus then, because Jesus shows up, and he kind of causes trouble a lot of the time. Okay, so he causes trouble, and he go, he, they kind of put him on trial, and then he kind of reverses it and puts them on trial. So let's pick it up. Here we go. John chapter 5. Sometime later, okay, so this is after some of the stuff, you know, Jesus with Nicodemus and with the woman in the well. A little bit later after that, tension is going to pick up. The next few chapters, it's going to get harder on Jesus. People are opposing him more. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Okay, this is probably the festival of Purim. It doesn't say that, but what that festival was, it was a, a, a festival where people give gifts to the poor. Some of you remember in the book of Esther, right? And there's this whole festival that kind of invented after Esther. And what they do is they give gifts to the poor. This is probably the festival that they're talking about uh, because it's the only festival we have record of on the calendar that would have happened on the Sabbath. And this is a Sabbath, so that's probably what it is. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which is in Aramaic is called Bethsaida. That's really important. Bethsaida. That's the house of grace. Somebody say grace. And we're talking about grace today. Somebody say it again. Grace. It's the house of grace. That's where this is happening. Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. That means porches. That means there's porches, there's you know, pillars, and on top, top there's a roof. So people could sit around the pool. And they could lie out and kind of be, they're protected from the elements, that's where they are. They're on these covered colonnades, but it's not just anybody at these porches. See, most folks wouldn't go there. Most folks don't want to go there. Most folks who want people to think well of them wouldn't show up at these porches or these colonnades because verse three, here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Okay, so this is a space my friends, where it's, I mean, imagine what a hospital is like before the invention of real medicine, right? They don't have any concept of bacteria or anything like that. So this is who's sitting and laying and kind of squeezing in around the, around this pool or on these porches, there's folks and, and you know, it doesn't smell good. They ain't had a shower, man. And, and they're just waiting their turn. And the reason they're waiting this turn, their turn is because there's this myth. There's this folklore idea that, hey, once a year, an angel's going to come down, and this angel's going to stir up the waters, and then whoever can, like, crawl in or, you know, fling themselves into the pool first is going to get healed. That's, that's what they thought. That's what the myth was. Some even think, you know, the Lord doesn't say that he does this. Like, this isn't, he doesn't say, yeah, I, I sent this angel. In fact, there's, some scholars believe this is from a thousand years earlier before Jerusalem was even taken over by the Jews. This was a pagan, just devil God that offered healing. And so that's what they thought 
might have been happening. But you know how it is. Sometimes, like, when you're in real pain, and, and you don't necessarily, you're like, I'll, I'll just try to get relief however I can. I don't know what this is. I don't know what this means theologically. People don't even usually think that deep. They're just like, can this help me? Can this help me? I'll just try this thing. Maybe this will help me. And so you have some desperate people, some hopeless people, some people in pain, and they're just hoping this is their year. They're hoping this is going to be the one that they get taken care of. And, and there's no one to like wait on them. So whatever they have to do, they got to crawl over there. Someone's got to maybe bring them food or whatever it's going to be. But it's a hard deal. And they're taking a chance. They're going to be the one who gets in the pool. Verse 5, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Doggone, that's a long time. 38 years. Can you imagine? Like just how, how your body is after 38 years of kind of like pulling yourself around. So he's there. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? And that's kind of a weird question. That's a little bit crazy. Why are you going to ask if he wants? He's there. Why do you want to know if he's going to get well? Well, because sometimes we get, we get in our, our hopelessness, in our difficulty, and we kind of get used to it. There's even a little bit of comfort, like, well, I'm, I'm in this, and I know this, and and yeah, I'd like to get well, but I've kind of learned that I'm not going to get well. I've learned how it goes, man. I have learned other people tend to make it before me. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, somebody else goes down ahead of me. So here he is, man. He's, he's hopeless. He's probably pretty lonely because nobody goes here. These are the unfixable people. These are the people, and definitely religious leaders, the religious leaders, they ain't coming down here. They're going to be with people of power. They're going to be with people of position, people that can do stuff for them. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Now just check out Jesus, somebody, for a second, okay? Here's what Jesus does. Imagine somebody today, let's say surgery heal, you know, heals them. They, they're able to walk after 38 years well, baby, there's still going to be a lot of therapy to do. You're still going to have to like need some kind of physiological therapy. Your muscles need to get strong again. Like you carrying something instantly is going to be a hard deal, okay? Even getting up and being able to walk. And yet, see, it ain't no problem for Jesus. Somebody say, it ain't no problem for Jesus. Hey, whatever's going on, it ain't no problem for Jesus. I don't care what the world says. It doesn't matter what somebody, it doesn't matter the diagnosis. It doesn't matter what somebody told you. It doesn't matter how hopeless. It doesn't matter how long you've been lying there by the pool, wishing God would answer your prayer. It doesn't, when when it's God's time, it's God's time. See, Jesus comes and check it out. Jesus came looking for him. There's nothing he could do to to get to Jesus. Jesus has to come down. Like he doesn't even know who Jesus is, but Jesus comes a looking. Somebody say, Jesus came a looking. Jesus came a looking and he came looking for you and for me, Jesus comes a-looking for everybody. And, and Jesus knows we can't make our way back to Jesus. Jesus has to come find us. Isn't that encouraging? Yeah, because of Bethesda, because of, somebody say grace. Grace, here we go. Anyway, it's no problem for the Lord. It's no problem for the Lord. Now, here's, here's the little um, alert. There's some tension coming. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. Okay, that is alerting us. Jesus likes to make trouble in a way that's going to get noticed on the wrong day to do it. Okay, this is like doing something really wrong on Christmas Day. All right, you, you, you just brought to the party all kinds of scandal. You just brought some drama. 
you're like, watch me stir everybody up. Here we go. So on Christmas Day, on the day of the festival, on the day everyone's supposed to be like, hey, let's just keep everything cool and in order and everybody have some fun. Nope, Jesus goes and messes it up. And here's what we want to know. You can count on Jesus. You can count on Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about today. You can count on Jesus. And you can count on Jesus to act like Jesus. It's not that's just that you can count on him to come like help you. In fact, sometimes we're going to see in the text, it doesn't really help us, but you can count on him to act like Jesus. And here's the first thing Jesus does. You can count on Jesus to be looking for the hopeless. He came looking for this guy. He came looking for the hopeless. Now, this is why he's a misfit Messiah. This is why it doesn't make sense. Because if you're looking for a king, kings don't do this. Yeah, if you're looking for a Davidic kind of king, even David, man, he had connections. He was the son-in-law of the previous king. David is a mighty warrior. He's out there making a name for himself. He's cutting the heads off of giants. You know what I'm saying? Kings are in palaces talking to other important people, making the deal, right? Like causing things to happen. This dude goes down into this nasty, stinking, not even yet a hospital type place. Kings don't go there. You don't look for a king there. That's not where kings go but Jesus is not your average king. That's why he's a misfit Messiah. He's gonna do the opposite of what all the other kings would do. And here's what's wonderful. Jesus knows everything that's going down with you. He knows about your pain. He knows your stress. He knows everything that's hard. He knows everything that got frozen, everything that went wrong. See, he knows about the pains and the paralyzations that you and I have from years and years ago. He knows when we got stuck. He knows when we got wounded. He knows how we've recovered and we've made our way around, but he also knows the places that don't move forward inside of our hearts. There's emotional healing that hasn't taken place. He knows the place we've walled ourselves in and we're saying, well, I'm, just not gonna, I'm not gonna bring that up again or I'm not gonna talk to them. Or, I'm, I'm just not gonna talk at all or, or whatever that is. Or, you know, I guess I'll just never belong. Whatever it is, Jesus knows where that is. He knows the pressure. He knows the stress. He knows all about it. And Jesus comes looking. He comes looking. Because that's the kind of God he is. He'll always come looking. You know who you can count on to come looking? Jesus. You may not be able to count on anybody else. You may not be able to count on your family. You may not be able to count on the people you work with. You might not be able to count on anybody. You might not be able to count on grandma. But Jesus is coming. Somebody say, Jesus is coming. Jesus will come look for you. Jesus will come find you. Jesus will come find you at the bottom of a bottle. Jesus will come find you hidden away where you're trying to get into your sin and just no one ever knows. Jesus will come there. Jesus will come find you because he's looking. He said, I ain't leaving him. I know the right time. I'm gonna go down into the depths. I'm gonna go into the nastiest, dirtiest, stinkiest place where nobody else goes and I'm gonna get him. That's what Jesus says. He says, and when I say something, they're gonna get healed. When I come in, oh, it's gonna change. I know it doesn't change for anything else, but it changes when Jesus gets involved. And here's what's awesome about Jesus. Now, we gotta get this. Somebody say, I'm gonna get it today. Somebody say, preach it, Carter, because I'm gonna get it. Jesus doesn't come to help the guy, comes to heal him. It's really important. He didn't come to help him. See, here, you see what the guy said? The guy was like, um, Lord, I have no one to help me into the pool. This is the way it works on this planet. This is how we understand it, okay? I've got to do it the way people do it. The way people do it, the myth, the thing is you got to get, you got to get it in the right time. When a quote-unquote angel is in there and something's stirring up, you got to, Jesus, that's the way you got to do it. I don't have any help to, to do that. And Jesus is like, yeah, 
Um, I don't need that, okay? Just so you know, I don't need the pool. I don't need the worldly way. I know you got a plan for your money, and you got a plan on how you're going to get in good with so-and-so, and you got a plan on how you're going to get there, and you got a plan on how you're going to get out of that mess. And Jesus says, uh, I don't need your plan. I will occasionally use your plan. Sometimes your plan is even my plan, but often your plan is not my plan. I don't need your plan. I don't need to jump through any hoops. I can just do it God's way because God can just do it. God isn't tied down to what we need. God just decides and he moves. Somebody say, man, I'm so glad I tuned in to Fierce Online today because God will just do it. That's what he does. And he says, do you want to get well? Meaning he's saying, can I stir up your faith here, sir? who's been here 38 years. Can I stir up your faith? I need you to say that you want it. I need to know that you're not just like, okay, well, this is just my lot then. This is just my deal. He says, no, I want to know if you really want to get well. I want to know if you're willing to believe me and willing to trust me. And if you are, my words can make you okay. But here's the thing. I need you to get your eyes off the, the way you want it to happen. Get your eyes off the way you want it to happen. Do you need it to happen your way? I mean, for real, we get married to our way, but do you really need, I mean, at what cost does it have to be your way? Can it just be God's way? Can he not tell you how he's gonna get you there? He's just gonna do it, and you can just be, okay, Lord, however you do it, your way is the right way. In fact, your, your thing is the right thing. Maybe my thing is only like kinda right, and you're gonna adjust it and make it right. Can we just say, God, I don't need it, whatever it costs. I don't need to jump into evil to get it. I don't need to compromise to get it. If we can just go your way, God, whatever that way is and whatever the thing is, that's the way we want to go. Jesus, can we just do that? Can we just do my thing my way and you can let go of your worldly, humanistic thinking that isn't going to help you at all? God's way is the best way and the right way? Yeah, that's how Jesus wants to go. And he's at Bethesda. He's at the house of grace. He's at the house of mercy. That's where he finds him. And he's chasing him with grace. Do you know that everything is grace? Do you know that you're covered by grace right now? See, even before he healed him, everybody there was still at the house of grace. And they were covered by these, these porches with, with ceilings that just protected them from the elements. See, even when you're not healed yet, even when your thing didn't come through yet, even when God didn't deliver you yet, check it out. You're still covered by grace. He didn't do that thing yet, but he's done a lot of other things for you. He's kept you covered. When I was sick, I was sick for four and a half years. And man, it was like debilitating. I couldn't go to work and it was really tough on my family. And check it out. I didn't know if I was ever going to get healed. And so all of life shut down. I didn't know what was going to happen, but you know what I found out? He was the same God he was before I was sick. And since I've been healed, he's the same God he was when I was sick. He's the same God. And so even when our thing isn't fixed and we're not done and it didn't move forward, what's so wonderful about God is he's going to be the same God. He's still going to provide for you and he's still going to do it by grace, not because of what you did, meaning God doesn't want us strutting up to God. Hey, well, God owes me because I've been good. Nope, that's not grace. Now you, you need to sit back down for a while. You need to look where you are. You are by the pool of Bethesda. Look at the people around you. Everybody's jacked up. Everybody's got stuff. And see, all the stuff that you and I have, um, I'm just going to list some stuff so you know. Your clothes are grace. Your living space is grace. Your relationships are grace. That you came from the family you came from was grace. The job you have right now is grace. Or the job you're going to get soon is grace. 
The clothes on your back are grace. Your car is grace. Everything, your boss is grace. Maybe it's grace to humble you. I don't know. Maybe it's grace to be really hard. I don't know, but it's grace. The fact that you're watching Fierce right now, that you're here at Fierce, that's grace. The fact that you're free right now, that you live in the U.S., that's grace. All of it is God's grace. You are covered right now in God's colonnade of grace. He's saying, even if I haven't fixed everything, I fixed a doggone lot because I love you and because it's all grace from start to finish. And because he's so good, Jesus is so good, he doesn't mind hanging out with disgrace to bring his grace because that's where he comes. It's a lot of disgrace where we are. There's a lot we get wrong. There's a lot we mess up all the time. There's a lot of reminders. If we're just paying attention, oh man, I am pretty broke here. I'm pretty, I do a lot wrong that is bold betrayal of God. And yet he still brings his grace into my situation. So we can count on grace. To, we can count on Jesus to come looking for the hopeless and we can count on Jesus to cause some trouble. And that's what happens next. Verse 10, so the Jewish leaders <clears throat> said to the man who'd been healed, it's a Sabbath law or it's a Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Okay, first of all, it doesn't forbid him to carry his mat. What the law forbids was working. Now, these folks, the religious elite, had invented 39 other little mini laws that were not God's laws, but they invented them. They're like, well, let's just make sure nobody breaks the law. So we'll give you extra laws and you can follow those. So there was no law against him carrying his mat anyway. But they're really particular about this and they're really snooty about their religious ways, and they're really inside their box. And you know what they're missing? They're missing that this dude that was on the ground for 38 years is now walking, and he's fine and dandy today. Like, they're missing that because they can't see past their mental blockages, their patterns. They're stuck in the way they've always understood God. They can't understand anything outside of the way they understand it right now. And so they miss the miracles. See, we're going to miss the miracles if we can't learn anything about God. If we can't be adjusted. If God can't say, ah, you kind of get it, but let me tell you this too. If we're not open to that, if we're not open to him through his word, we're going to miss a whole lot. And this is a warning to us that we wouldn't be those folks. God says, hey, be real careful about adding to God's words. Be real careful because all that ever does, all it's ever done throughout all of history is bind people up. There's plenty right here. We don't need to add to it. It's good already. We don't need to add stuff. We can only even do this with the power of the Holy Spirit. But you know what I found out? He does not empower me to obey stuff that isn't in here. You ever just really struggle with something, then you find out, oh, that's not even a sin. Yeah, well, probably the reason you struggle with it so much because God's like, I'm not gonna help you think that's sin when it's not sin. Let me just help you with the stuff that actually is sin. There's already plenty here, but you know what people do is people like, they just like to have their control and they want to make sure everybody's okay and they want to make sure, ah, don't step outside my box. And so they add rules and add rules and add rules. I really feel like I see this in people that are coming out of Christian homes all the time, okay? And they're a little bit bitter sometimes. They come out of, they've been raised in a Christian home, but the truth is, mom and dad had some kind of baptized in vinegar relationship with God. And it was a lot about, hey man, do this and do this and make sure that's right. And it wasn't really about the joy of walking in fellowship with Jesus. It wasn't about, ah, you know, you're not gonna do everything right and Jesus loves you and he's gonna stick with you and he's gonna keep working with you. It wasn't that. And so they come out and they're kind of mad and they're disillusioned. And I'm like, baby, I don't think you got the right book. You got the book plus mom and dad's random other stuff that they couldn't even do. And now that, you know, they gave you a hard time or whatever it was, and I'm just saying, we don't need to add to God's words. 
Let's stick with the words God already has. And instead, how about this? Let's just all become better students of God's word. Let's just always say, you know, if these Pharisees need correction and they knew the scriptures better than me, they memorized entire books of the Bible. If they needed correction, guess who else needs correction? You can say me. No, just say Carter, say me. Say you, okay? Me. I need correction. I need correction from God's word. And you know, Paul told Timothy, he said, hey, Timothy, you, got, you better make sure. I know you're a pastor, but you better keep your mind, <clears throat> keep your eyes, keep your heart focused on staying in God's word. Watch your life and watch your doctrine because we just drift. So keep your eyes in the book. Slap somebody on the shoulder. Say, keep your eyes on the book. Keep your eyes on the book. You can slap them back if you want to. <laughs> keep your eyes in the book. <clears throat> Look at this. I don't even know where we are. Where are we? Okay. Um, yeah, so verse 11, verse 11, the man, so he's like, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, we'll see in John 9 later, it's not that all pain and all difficulty is somehow the fault of sinning but sometimes it is. And so Jesus is just saying, hey God, that's awesome. Isn't that awesome what I did for you? Check it out. Don't just take the healing and miss the God of the healing. And so just a lesson for us, it's a real quick lesson. It's just, hey, has God delivered you from something? Has he forgiven you for something? Awesome. Praise God. We just don't want to play fast and loose with sin. Be like, well, God forgave me that time. He'll forgive me next time. Yeah, he will, but you're also asking for his discipline. Okay, he was real gracious and he will stay gracious. But if we continue to test the patience of the Lord, we might find that God says, oh, I see you're gonna need a little bit more. Let me just touch it a little bit more. Ouch, to get you to pay attention when God tells you not to do something. And he's still gonna be faithful. He's still gonna be forgiving. He's not gonna change. But he also, he says, please don't ignore me. When I've been so good to you, when I've given you so much, when I've, all I've done is like, bleed for you. Please don't ignore me when I go ahead and, and completely forgive you. <clears throat> so the man went away, told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. And now they get together. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, so, so they're, 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 bring, they're coming to Jesus like, hey man, you better quit this. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day. And I too am working for this reason. They tried all the more to kill him not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but because he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. What did Jesus do wrong right there? Okay, in their mind, two things. First, they're, they're kind of like conflating. They think he broke the Sabbath. Okay, first of all, we just said, the thing of carrying the mat wasn't even breaking the Sabbath. It's even less breaking the Sabbath that Jesus healed him because it's not wrong to heal somebody on the Sabbath. But they're still saying this. And then Jesus says, hey man, I we don't see it quite as clear in the text, but here's what he's saying. I get to heal people on the Sabbath because I can work on the Sabbath. Now in their mind, they're like, nobody gets to work on the Sabbath, yo. Only God works on the Sabbath. And God has to work. We, we can't work. He's commanded us not to work. God has to work because, you know, babies still need to be born and people still need to die and God needs to hold the whole universe together. So God gets to work. And Jesus says, oh yeah, I know. And I get to work on the Sabbath. I'm saying something much higher than being a king. I'm saying something way beyond just being someone in the line of David. I'm saying I have authority 
over Sabbath. I have authority over life and death. I'm an authority like you can't even understand, son. You don't even know what you're dealing with yet. So let's pretend that you've been watching. I know you, most of you wouldn't do this, but some of you get really jazzed about this. You've been watching golf all your life, okay? You've been watching golf all your life, but you've never been to a golf tournament. You've never actually played golf, okay? You've just been watching it on TV. So everything you've seen has kind of been from a little bit, even when there's close-up, it's still from a distance, and you're seeing it through a lens. And you are so confident in your understanding of golf that you write a golf book, okay? And like you, you publish this thing, you're like, yep, I understand golf. I wrote a book on it, son. And then one day you meet a professional golfer, okay? You meet like a Tiger Woods level person. And they look at your book and they're gracious and like, yeah, yeah, you got some things right here, okay? Some of this is good. But the problem is you've never really met perfection. You've only seen things from a distance. You've seen it a little bit cloudier. You might, if you didn't know that this guy or gal was such an example of perfection, you'd probably be a little bit offended. You'd be like, oh, I wrote a book, hello. Like people have bought this. And it, you're only offended because you don't understand who you're talking to. You don't understand that you're in the presence of perfection. And perfection understands exactly how it's supposed to go. Perfection understands experiences that you'll never, ever know and understands things on a higher plane, if we're talking about Jesus, than you'll ever know. So that's why these Pharisees are offended. She's like, who is this guy? Who, who is he to tell us anything? And he's like, son, I didn't just read a book. I was there when the earth was created. I dictated to many of the prophets the book you're reading. I'm the one who spun all these galaxies into motion. I've got authority over not only Sabbath, but over life and death. So you, you're just not in my league. And he's trying to be gracious about it. He's, trying, he's just telling them the truth. He's not mad at them. He's not trying to beat them down. But we can count on Jesus. This shows us how we can count on Jesus. We can count on Jesus, yes, to be looking for the hopeless, but we can also count on Jesus, thank God, we can count on him to tell us the hard truth. Jesus will just tell us the truth and he will do it from day one Till day infinity. He will just keep telling us the truth. He doesn't shape. See, we get, we get tempted to amend the truth or make it softer. We want it to be softer for us and we want to soften it for other people. And yet Jesus knows that's not medicine at all. That's super not going to help them. I'm just going to tell you the truth, Jesus says. I, I, I love you guys. I want you to know the truth. So let's say that, you know, you bust up your leg this afternoon and you go to the ER. Okay. You, you, you get in there and Turns out you got some bones sticking out, okay? And the doctor comes in, he's like, wow, gosh. Yeah, well, I don't want to offend you, so we're just going to wrap this thing in gauze, you know, and that's good. You're good, man. Hey, nice. Off you go. Of course, you'd be like, brah, that ain't fixed. There's bones sticking out. You didn't fix it at all. You just told me it was fixed, but it's actually not fixed. That's what we do to people when we don't actually tell them the truth. When people are hurting and bruised and broken, and we can see what the problem, the problem is you're, you're not reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. You're not following his commands, which, which lead to blessing and joy when done in the power of the Holy Spirit. When we just be like, I, I guess you're fine. They're walking away with a bone sticking out. And Jesus says, that's not love. That's not medicine. That's not helpful. That's not really helping anybody at all. It's not even helping you. 
See, Jesus knows that what we believe about God is just as important as that we believe God. What we believe is actually a really big deal. That's what he's telling these Pharisees. He's saying, yeah, guys, you got some stuff wrong. I know you wrote this book. I know you think you're really smart and you've got some stuff right, but there's major stuff that you need to be informed about. So Jesus gives them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these and you will be amazed. What is he saying right there? He's saying, my friends, I have a relationship with God that you don't even understand. I'm not even just like Moses. Moses, yep, he would go out to the tent of meeting and he would talk to the Lord. I'm telling you, the father is always telling me exactly what his will is. I'm operating on a higher plane. You don't understand. I'm not just some king. I'm not just some deliverer. Verse 21, for just as the father raises the dead, this is gonna blow their minds right here. Just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Wow. They're thinking this is, hey, um, you will have no other gods before me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. They're hearing this guy say, either he's a rival God or he's like God. He's got authority over life and death. What are we talking about here, yo? Verse 24, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. Jesus says, here, here's Jesus' messianic claim that they can't even process. Jesus has authority over life and authority over judgment. Only one person has authority over life, okay? David didn't have it. Abraham didn't have it. None of those people have it, but Jesus is claiming that he has it. Only one person is in charge of the judgment of all creatures that they're expecting to happen at the end of the age. They're like, yeah, that's God. That's, he doesn't delegate that to anybody. And Jesus is like, exactly, yeah. That's exactly what I'm telling you. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. So they've got a special relationship. And, and what, he's, what he's doing there is he's, he's demonstrating the Trinity. He's like, yep, the father and I are one. I still serve him and do his will. We have distinct roles, but we're still the same God. That's how this works, my friends. And he has given authority, verse 27, he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. Don't be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves, it's like he's, he's got an exclamation point, this thing. will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done what is good will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Now don't mishear Jesus because he's not saying you get into heaven by being good. John has been very clear in this very book over and over and over again. What really causes one to go to heaven is a new life that is given to, to them by the Holy Spirit of God. But that new life is now different and it acts different and it does, it loves God out of its own heart, not because it's forced to. It doesn't run away from God, it runs towards God. It's a brand new born again by the Holy Spirit life. That's what he's saying there. And he's claiming that he alone offers life to that. In other words, he's saying, see that guy that I healed that I just, boom, just, it all came back? Yeah, that's because the, the, Life of God is in me and under my command. I can say to anything dead, 
get up and it will do so. Do you see how Jesus is claiming something that is mind-blowing to them? This is why he's a misfit Messiah. This is why it's so extreme what they're hearing that they, they can't even get with it, man. And here's where it's relevant for us. We've all got patterns of thinking. We've all got ways that we've already kind of decided that it's going to be or it's going to go. And Jesus comes along and he graciously says, I need you to let me mess with that. If you're going to keep knowing me, then you're going to have to let me keep revealing. Yeah, you're going to have to let me keep messing with your understanding sometimes. I think I'm going to change major stuff, but you've got to open yourself. to. You didn't think that was wrong before, but now you understand it is. At first, you thought, you know, you, you, you did what was right in your own eyes. But as you walk with Jesus, he's showing you, yeah, actually, I need you to let that go now. I need you to die to that dream now. I need you to let go of that agenda now. Because the whole deal is, I'm shaping how I want you to respond to life, and I'm tearing down some of your patterns of thinking that don't make any sense anymore. I'm here to tell you the truth about your mindsets. So let me give an example. Because what Jesus does, he doesn't just like tell you propositional truths. He shifts the way you think out of your behavior. So there's a difference between you and I think, what you and I think and how we actually act sometimes. Right? Because many of you watching online right now, many of you here, you can quote scripture that you believe but you don't do. Okay? And God, Jesus wants to get down to the do level. He's like, you believe things but you don't get it. So as an example for me, um, I would have always said, from the very first time I read it, becoming a new Christian, yeah, man, um, the, the flesh profits nothing. Life is only given by the Spirit. God's got to do it. But you know what I believed in my behavior? I really believed, you know, if you just love people hard enough, if you just really stick with people, if you just, oh, you just give them all you got, eventually their, their, their hard heart will change. And, you know, that one hypothesis cost me a lot cost me a lot of pain by trying to love somebody into the kingdom that the spirit of God was not transforming. And I was, I was, I was so convinced, no, you just do this, you just do this. And other people got hurt because I kept on pushing to, uh, just come oh, open your arms to them and they'll be okay. No, that's not how it worked because God was determined to convince me, Carter, I'm telling you, if it's not by the spirit, it's not life. It's not going to work. You can't do this for somebody. You can't give somebody salvation. You can by no means save your brother or anybody else. It's got to be God. God's got to do it. And that's just a little example, but that's an example of, I already agreed with the truth, but my behavior didn't agree with that truth really. And that's what God in his mercy and love is going to get down into us. And this is why some of us, we, we maintain certain behaviors we stay in certain kinds of sin because we're like, well, I already believe this is wrong. Yeah, I know that you do. I believe it's not necessarily the wisest thing to roll with this group of people because, you know, God loves them, but they also drag me into redonkulous sin from time to time. And, and see, what you didn't get yet was, um, dude, if you hang out with turkeys, you're going to be a turkey. I've seen turkeys, like, walking together on the side of the road. Like, they, I see them, like, go in groups. I don't see lots of groups of eagles, though, because eagles fly alone. And, and we got to decide at some point, I'm done being a turkey. I got to get rid of some of my turkey. <laughs> my turkey cohort needs to, you know, minimize a little bit. Doesn't mean you don't love people. Doesn't mean you don't stick, stick with people. Doesn't mean you don't, you know, encourage folks or whatever. But it just means my primary source of fellowship cannot be turkeys if I ever want to soar 
and get any higher. Everybody hearing that? Come on, somebody. I know that was supposed to deliver somebody. I hope you're hearing it. So what does Jesus do? He's been on trial. He just flipped the tables on these folks, and he gives five witnesses. See, it, in, in Jewish culture at this point, you needed at least one witness if you were going to accuse somebody, okay? So Jesus says, look, I've got five to contradict what you're saying. And we're, we're not going to take the time to read through them, but he, he, he talks about the Father's my witness, John the Baptist is my witness, the signs that I do are my witnesses. The scriptures are my witnesses. And they keep appealing to Moses. And he says, guys, you don't even understand. Look, Moses is going to stand up at the judgment and he's going to accuse you because he wrote about me. And you said you loved his words, but you didn't honor the son like you honor the father, like Moses wrote about, like you should have. Instead, what you've done is you've kept a hard heart. You were unwilling to be corrected by God. Instead, you've idolized and really worshiped your own conclusions. Let's hold our conclusions lightly. We don't know what God is going to do. We don't know how God's going to lead a certain thing. We don't know how he'll step in. Let's hold them lightly. And yet, even though you've resisted me, check this, this is such a beautiful verse. Verse 33. You sent to John the Baptist, and he's testified of the truth, not that I accept human testimony, meaning not like I'd look to a human, but he was one. But I mention it that you may be saved. Do you see the heart of Jesus now? You can count on Jesus. So you can count on him to reach out to the hopeless. You can count on Jesus alone to always be the one who tells you the truth. But here's what's wonderful and good and powerful and, and excellent. Or number three, you can count on Jesus to love even those who accuse and resist him, even when it's you. Even when it's you. So you can imagine, I'm sure you can, you can imagine people that are so anti-God. You can imagine people, you know, celebrities that are so like, you can't imagine them ever loving Jesus. Well, you know, Jesus loves them right now even as they resist him, even as they try to tell other people that he's false. And that's encouraging. We should know. We should never give up on anybody our whole doggone lives. Never. But we also got to know, someday, dude, you ain't going to understand what God's doing. And you're going to be mad. I'm like, God, how can you do this? And what you got to understand is, Jesus doesn't need for you to understand everything. All you need to do is do what the man at the pool did. Say, yes, Lord, I surrender. Yes, Lord, I'll do whatever you want. Here's what Jesus is trying to teach them when he says, I mention it, that you might be saved, that you might be saved. Guys, I'm sitting here and I'm taking all this beating. I'm taking all this accusation, taking all this rejection by the people who are the spiritual lead who should have been the first guys to recognize me. And I'm doing all that so that you can be saved. And this is what we gotta understand. If we're gonna understand our Messiah and not miss it like they did, if we're gonna understand our Messiah, do you understand? This king is not just like David. This king is the king that dies for his enemies. There's no greater king than that. That's the best. That's the highest. That's the king that is asking you to surrender. That's the king that is asking you whatever's going on to trust him. That's your misfit Messiah. So let's take this last song. Let's end the sermon with the song and worship that king. Let's bow our heads. There's so much to know about you, Jesus. There's so much that is grander than we've ever imagined. And we just celebrate that. You are bigger 
than can fit in any of our boxes. But you don't use that in a haughty way. You don't use that to be mean to us or to smack us down. Instead, you use that to reach out to us, even as we accuse you, and to throw your arms around us and say, it's my will that you would be well if you just do what I ask. Father, we pray that you come and fill us for this entire series I'm praying, that we would get heightened revelation more than we ever had on the glory and the awesomeness of the King that we have. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you don't have a home church and you're looking for a Bible preaching community that has its heart set on passionately knowing Jesus and being his witness in our generation, check out Church. We'd love for you to join us either digitally or in person. Also, if you're looking for leadership development-related content, don't forget to check out the Fierce Leadership Podcast, available wherever you get your podcast from. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on social media or wherever you would share such things. Whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Jesus loves you so much, and we love you. I hope someday we get to meet in person. Thanks again for listening.